Hello, and welcome to Self-Sabotaging Sagas, hosted by me, your Elevation Guide, Jenea Barnes. Hello, friends. I'm supposed to be live today with Tina Mulryan, but she's having trouble getting into the room, so it might just be me. You guys might be stuck with me today, talking about self-development and whatever else comes up. What do you think about that? <laughs> so I wanted to talk today with Tina because she has such a positive outlook. She's always posting positive stuff. She's always trying to grow and better herself. And I really admire people like that. I am also like that. I think I've been on this quest for most of my lifetime. I remember being 15, starting to analyze my friends, <laughs> which might not have been the best thing. But I started thinking like, huh, why does she do that? I wonder why she does that. Oh, I bet it's because of this, because of this thing that happened to her. I bet that's why she does that. And so it started this curiosity for me. And it started opening up questions. So I started really paying attention to why people did things. I had been observing a lot from the time I was very little. My childhood was tumultuous. And it kept me safe to be very observant. You know, you when you're not sure what you're going to get when you're growing up, you tend to really notice what's going on around you. You tend to really notice those little minute facial expressions that might shift and might give you a clue as to what's going to happen next. And... Oh, so Tina is still not, it's not letting her in still. All right. I'm going to just message her saying, I don't know what to do. So anyway, as I was saying, I was learning to really be observant of people and it became a what's the word i'm looking for a survival strategy and when it becomes a survival strategy it becomes instinctual it becomes part of your subconscious and so i started really paying attention to people when i was young and then again like i said when i was 15 i started really noticing well why are my friends doing that so I started paying attention to that stuff. And then somewhere along the lines, I started therapy, started trying to figure out what was going on with me. I started therapy, actually. This was my thought. I said, there's nothing wrong with me. I just think it's good to have somebody neutral to talk to in your life. I didn't really think I had any problems. <laughs> but that was the way I perceived the world at the time. And it was, it was very nice to talk to somebody neutral. It was very awesome. But later I started 
getting hip to certain things like certain books. One of my all time favorite books and probably the book that really opened up that self-development chapter for me was The Alchemist. Any of you guys read The Alchemist? I love that one. It's interesting too, because I think a friend of mine did a workshop and they had her read The Alchemist and she had never read it. And I read it in my mid twenties maybe. And she was in her mid thirties and she's like, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. It was, I felt it was very sexist and very like not for women basically. But I never got that. And I wonder, I just think it's so interesting how we all have these different perceptions of the world. We have these different ways of looking at the world, a different lens. And you even notice this, you ever see a movie one time and you have this way you think about it. And later you see the movie again, a few years later, different things are going on in your life and your perception of it is totally different. Well, I suspect, you know, my friend's mind is very different than mine and she had a different perception and perhaps she was thinking about how women are marginalized and discriminated against and perhaps those things really stuck out to her for me in the book the alchemist i loved the idea of the journey and that's what this is the self-development journey is a journey right it's not just one there's not a magic bullet i remember a friend of mine said she was a seeker. She's definitely been a self-development junkie, much like Tina, who I wish we could let her into this talk. I don't know why it's not letting her in. But she said she was always searching for the magic bullet, the silver bullet, the one thing that fixed her. But what I've learned in my journey is that it's about layers. And each layer you peel back, each layer that shifts, it opens up something new. And usually it creates a little more freedom, a little more ease. And you might think to yourself, wow, I totally thought I was over that one thing. And then sure enough, there's a little bit more and you become a little bit freer. So I remember my first ayahuasca journey. I was a little nervous. You know, you hear lots of stories about it. Oh, it's like 10 years of therapy in one night and it's gonna be really hard. It's gonna be really terrible or it's gonna be magnificent. You just don't know what you're going to get. And you hear all these stories, but much like anything, ayahuasca is, it's going to be different for each person because each of us have different beliefs. Each of us have different things going on in our mind. 
So for me, I had moved to New York. I'd been here a year or two, maybe two years. And I was sitting in my little meditative position. And one of the things that came up was really surprising because I had gone through a lot of therapy. Hi, David. I had gone through a lot of therapy and I thought that I was over and healed from a date rape that happened to me a few, a few years prior. And I sat in my journey, listening, paying attention to what was coming at me. And I went on this journey where I relived the rape, basically, except it was set in med medieval times. Perhaps it was a memory of a past life, if you believe in those kind of things. If not, perhaps it's just a metaphor. The uh, subconscious mind works in metaphors. Its language is metaphor and story. So I was there and I was reliving this experience, which you can imagine is not pleasant. And I remember thinking to myself, why is this coming up? I'm sure I have many other issues, <laughs> so many other issues that could be worked on, but why is this coming up? I've already worked through this. And, you know, the medicine, they call her the grandmother. She kept taking me through it, taking me through it. And eventually, in this journey, I was able to get a hold of a knife. I was in a dungeon. I was in a medieval dungeon, and it was a guard, and he kept coming in, and he kept raping me over and over again. And then eventually, I somehow got a hold of a knife, and I was able to stab him and kill him. <laughs> what I learned in this journey was that Revenge does not make you feel better. But what I've come to understand, because I know a lot more about the healing process and I know a lot more about trauma and what our mind is trying to do when it heals trauma, is it's trying to create a different outcome. Our mind often relives. This is what happens in PTSD. I know I'm getting off the self-development journey, but our mind, when we're going through PTSD, it replays the events over and over. It's trying to create a different outcome where we actually have the resources to stop the threat, to neutralize the threat. And this is what actually happened in my ayahuasca journey is because I was able to stop the threat and be able to be safe after that, it made the trauma, the traumatic memory move into my long-term memory instead of staying in my short-term memory. When we have trauma episodes or even triggers, it doesn't have to be big traumas. When we have trauma episodes, they stay in our short-term memory. That's why we're so easily agitated and triggered by them. So what that particular journey did for me was that I was able to conclude the event in a different way. 
I was able to neutralize the emotional terror and experience because I got to practice and see the efficacy and the strength within myself. So I got to have all of the resources that I didn't have in the actual event at my disposal. And I was able to act out and save myself in my ayahuasca journey. And for those of you that don't know what psychedelics do for healing, you know, there's a lot of research going on right now about psychedelics and healing. And one of the things that happens is the default mode network, which basically is paying attention to everything you've ever seen in your life. It's trying to create really fast decisions based on one or two little tiny things it's seen before and then draw a conclusion. It's a survival mechanism. You know, if we're out in the hunter gatherer times and we're being chased by a saber toothed tiger, our default mode network says saber toothed tiger, death, cave, safety, and it doesn't even see anything else. So it just runs from the tiger, goes to the safety. And so our default mode network does that. And it's not paying attention to other options, other possibilities. It only sees those quick little triggers of things that it's seen before. And it jumps to conclusion. Con conclusions. I like to call it the assumption brain. So with psychedelics, what they have discovered is that the psychedelics actually, they soften the default mode network. And so you're actually able to see a little bit more like you were when you were a child, because the default mode network does not come on until you're nine years old, starts coming on at nine, nine to 12. And when you're a child, you take everything in, you see all of the things and your brain doesn't work quite as fast. It doesn't jump to those conclusions, but you take in, you see everything. So not only do you see the saber tooth tiger and the cave, but you see the yellow buttercup flowers. You see the deer over by the stream. So you see all of the things. And when you take psychedelics, this is what it does. It dampens down the default mode network and it opens, it broadens your perspective and allows you to see different possibilities. So in that particular thing that I was able to see another possibility and I got to act out the new possibility. So that imprinted into my brain to be able to process that traumatic event and then put it into the long-term memory. Does that make sense for anybody? <laughs> anyway, uh, Tina just told me that the browser is not letting her in. So you guys are stuck with me for the duration of this. But as we talk about that journey of self-development, so ayahuasca was one of the many, many things I did on my journey. And it was supportive. It was totally supportive for me. It helped me heal a lot of stuff. It opened up new perspectives. And for me, it gave me like anchor points, a place of showing me what was possible. I still had to do the work to get there. 
again, not a magic bullet, but I kept doing my self-development journey, my work towards creating greater happiness, create creator and <laughs> greater freedom. <laughs> so as we go back to The Alchemist being my first favorite self-development book, it is about the journey. So I had done a lot of healing around that particular date rape situation. And before I ever sat and did ayahuasca, but there was still more to be healed. So sometimes we do a lot of work and we feel tremendously better and something happens in our life, opens up our perspective and we realize, whoa, there's another layer. This happened to me again with the, for those of you that know, I had this other big trauma when I was four years old, almost five, and I held the hand of my junkie friend while he passed away and died. But there were some other things at play there. I had done a lot of healing work on that particular trauma of his death, and that part was healed. I had... I actually had the biggest healing in that through meditation. I had, so I was able to see this beautiful scene. Again, it's about changing, healing these traumas is so much about shifting the perspective so that our brain can process it in a different way. So the way my brain healed that particular event, that moment, moment in time, it healed it by in meditation, I was able to really go out way above, I went way into outer space. And I could see the situation from a neutral perspective, way up in the air. And from that position, I was able to see, instead of this tragic death, this OD and this child witnessing it, I was able to see another perspective. And this is the perspective I choose to keep because I can feel this perspective. So what I was able to see was I was able to see a man, a young man, a Vietnam vet who loved a little girl very much. We were very good friends and we had so much fun together. But in this moment, he was dying, basically. And I had woken up in the middle of the night and I knew something was wrong and I ran down to his house and that's where I found him. He was barely awake and he held my hand. We held each other's hands. And before he died, he looked up at me and he said, Jenea, you are magic. And so for years while I was trying to process this trauma, I processed it as this horrible, terrible experience. But what I was able to see when I was in meditation this one time that it was a beautiful, loving goodbye. You always see or you think about 
the that ideal way that you would die you would have all the people around you that you love and they would be there in that moment and you could have this loving beautiful goodbye and that's what i got and so that processed and totally shifted that experience for me it neutralized the emotional component and that trauma was able to go into my long-term memory. So it wasn't triggered, which is why I can tell you about this story without feeling flooded with all this crazy emotional stuff going on. But again, we're talking about layers and the journey of self-development. So a few days prior, he had been going through heroin withdrawal and he was super sick and he really wanted sugar. For those of you that know anything about heroin withdrawal, people really want sugar, chocolate. It's something that helps in that terrible withdrawal when you're very, very sick. And so I ran home trying to get him some sugar because I, he told me that he felt like he was going to die. But I heard him say, you know, in my being really upset, I heard him say he was going to die unless he got sugar. So I went home and I was trying to get the sugar. And my mom came in and was like, Janaea, what are you doing? And she thought my friend Carl was a little boy I played with up the street. She didn't realize that he was a junkie and a Vietnam vet. He was a grown man. And she said, you know, that boy is trying to manipulate you because when through my hysteria, what she heard me say was that Carl was going to kill himself unless I gave him food. So again, miscommunication, miscommunication, miscommunication. But she sat me down. She said, he's trying to manipulate you. you he's lying to you. You will not bring him any food. And so I didn't. I did what I was told. But... So many traumas that happened there once he died. So all of a sudden, now I believe that my mom is a liar. I believe that my mom is not the person to be trusted. That if I listen to her, people will die. And so we think about traumas and our healing and our self-development journey. And we, at first we really noticed the big stuff. So the big piece of that trauma for me was Carl's death. And then once that was healed, all of a sudden here's this other layer, this other layer of me really disliking my mom and being so terribly upset and feeling scared that she didn't understand me. I bet a lot of you have had that feeling. They just don't understand me. I need to be seen. I need to be heard, right? So that was another layer. So I peeled back and worked on healing that layer. Again, neutralizing the components of those little traumas or in they were little in comparison to the other trauma, but they were still pretty big. But I want to really quick, while we're talking about trauma, you guys, I want to tell you something really important. People get really hung up on trauma and 
this idea of maybe one-upping it is not quite the right language, but this idea of, oh, well, my life sounds so terrible. I had such big, crazy traumas. And so therefore I must be so messed up. Or people say, wow, for all that she's been through in her life, she really has held it together well. But why is this person that had no trauma such a mess? Well, here's the thing. Any moment in your life that you are extremely overwhelmed, it registers to your nervous system as trauma. It doesn't have to be a mugging. It doesn't have to be a rape. It doesn't have to be a crazy intense experience. It can be one moment where you are so overwhelmed and you feel like you're losing it. We've all had those moments. And now roll yourself back in time. Go back to your childhood and remember and know that you were not as capable of handling things as you are now. The world was much bigger and scarier because you didn't have as many resources. So things became so much more overwhelming, a lot easier. And all it takes is one overwhelming experience. And then you couple that with something that looks a little bit like that, maybe three months later, a year later, and that reinforces that little trauma neural pathway in your brain. And these kind of things, they don't have to be big things. People go through really big things sometimes and they don't even get traumatized because their brain processes through all of the things it needs to do. But when it doesn't, whether the thing is big or small, you will create a trauma that needs to be healed, which will often lead to behaviors that are perhaps not the healthiest. So for me in that particular thing, I kept my mom at arm's length my whole life, my whole life. And, you know, my mom was far from perfect. I mean, nobody's perfect, but because of that incident, I chose to believe I had this unconscious moment where I chose to believe that she will never understand me. She will never listen to me. If people, if I listen to her, somebody's going to die. Somebody that I love is going to die. And it changed the way I related to my mom. I don't believe I ever let her get close. And I wonder sometimes I'm not in her head because again, we each have different experiences and we process different experiences in different ways. So I'm not in her head. Did she try to get close and did I shun her? I don't know. It's hard to say, but on this journey, I can see now very clearly that I didn't make it easy for her. Whether she's aware of that or not doesn't matter. I'm aware of it. But I also, again, on this journey, this is a really important thing, you guys, on your self-development journey. Do not 
ever be upset with yourself for not knowing something that you didn't know. So I can say, yes, I look back at my life and I can see that I kept my mom at arm's length. Did she try to get in? I'm not sure. I don't know. I kept, I kept that wall up pretty big. So, but can I, do I feel guilty about it? No. I mean, if I continue to do it now that I have consciousness around it, then I might be, have a reason to feel guilty. But the thing is, is you cannot feel guilty for something you did not know at the time. If you do not know it, there is no reason to harbor guilt. Now, if you are consciously trying to not see something, that's different. That's different. If you're purposely putting on the sunglasses and the blinders so you don't see something, that's different because there's choice in that. But I did not realize that I was keeping her at arm's length. In fact, I thought she'd be me at arm's length. And maybe she was. Perhaps we were keeping each other at arm's length. <laughs> All right. So continuing this journey, this is again, I peeled back these layers. And every time I get to this point in my self-development journey, I get to this point where, wow, I think I've got it all figured out. <laughs> I laugh because it's really funny. Whenever I think I've got it all figured out, something else comes up. Like, oh, whoa, I didn't know that I had a fear of failure or whatever it might be. I discovered this one recently. I discovered that I've always had a tiny underlying sense of overwhelm. And I never noticed it before because all my survival mechanisms were very strong. They kept me very focused, very directive. I have a very strong sense of self-efficacy. And some of that came from survival mechanisms. You know, we get superpowers from our survival mechanisms. We get to, if we're lucky, we get to heal the wounds that created them and keep the superpowers. But because my survival mechanism superpowers were so strong, they were overriding everything else. I never noticed that I had this underlying sense of overwhelm until I cleared the wounds that kept those survival mechanisms so brutishly forward. And then I got to experience this little bit of overwhelm. How annoying is that? I never thought I had anxiety or overwhelm or anything like that. You'd look at my life on paper, you'd be like, she should be an anxious wreck. <laughs> but Evidently, it was there all this time. And then so, again, we peel back another layer on the journey and we keep going. But here's the thing. Why would we keep doing this? Why would we keep pushing through layer after layer after layer? And I'm going to guess I will be doing this for the rest of my life, you guys. But 
every time, every time I figure out something new, every time I heal a different trigger, heal an emotional wound, it opens up a little more freedom. It opens up a little more ease. Those of you that have known me for a long time have probably seen my face change. It's gotten softer. It's got, there's an easiness to it that's, that wasn't, wasn't always there. Um, I feel like I'm much more approachable now. It's easier. Everything is easier. I don't, here's a big thing. This is a really big thing, especially in a moment like this. So today we had technological glitches. Tina was supposed to be on here with me and she couldn't get on. So I didn't have anything prepared. And in the past, I would have gotten super flushed, super anxious, super uneasy. And I would have been thinking about every sentence that I was going to say before I said it. So I would be having two conversations. I would be having what's coming out of my mouth to you guys. And then the 18 like things that I think I'm going to say, or maybe I shouldn't say, or do I want to say. And so my brain would be going like this and I would be talking. And <laughs> it's a lot of energy. It also probably would mean that what's coming out of my mouth would not really be coming from here, coming from what's within me and coming with love and the gentleness that I want to project and I want to be here and hold that space for you guys. Think about that. Do you guys talk do you guys think about what you're going to say while the other person's talking? I used to do that all the time. I used to be so worried about what was going to come out of my mouth that I would be thinking 20 steps ahead. And God, if the conversation switched and went a different direction, and then it was almost my time to speak, and I wasn't prepared because the conversation went in a different direction, and I couldn't trust myself, I didn't feel like I could trust myself. That's a big thing that has shifted in this journey. Yeah. Crazy. I wish I could show you guys the map of what my brain felt like or what it felt like to be me. And I could show you a comparison of what this journey has done. I mean, don't get me wrong. I had beautiful, wonderful times with so many friends. And I feel so fortunate for the life that I have led but I really struggled so much. I had big self-worth issues. I had a very low self-esteem and I had a lot of unresolved trauma that I didn't even know was affecting me. And now here we are where we are in a pandemic and everything has shifted. So we've, we're in this space, you guys, of 
things are different. We don't know what's coming next. If one thing we have been taught this year, it is that we're stepping into the unknown every minute of every day. And what all of our wounds are trying to do, what all of our survival mechanisms of our wounds are trying to do is they're trying to keep us safe. They're trying to protect us. They're trying to figure out what's coming next so that it can keep you safe. But life is going to happen. There's no way you can control everything. And the more work you do on yourself, the more you peel back those layers, the easier it becomes to just flow like water. When you throw a pandemic at me, I just go like this. You throw an eviction. Maybe I lose my apartment. I just go like this. Don't get me wrong. It's stressful and I have things that I have to take care of with it. But I'm not all in my head going crazy like this. And this last year has really bubbled all of that stuff up for a lot of people. It's really brought us to a breaking point. And now we're much more, a lot of us are much more agitated. We're much more triggered. But I want you guys to really give yourself a moment to just breathe into it and allow yourself some forgiveness, some space some grace and say, all right, this stuff is not pretty, but this is an opportunity to step into healing, to step into shifting and doing some work on myself so that the next time something comes up, I can move with like water, like flow, move like this, right? So start thinking about that, you guys. Think about the things that are getting in your way and what it is that you can do to step into some sort of healing on your own personal self-development walk. How do you how do you find your first step in your journey? I know one book that I think is really great if you are new to the self-development journey. The Four Agreements is a really great, simple place to start. And even if you're not new to the journey, if you have not read it, read it. Because the, every time you go through another layer of your journey, the book makes a little bit more sense. If everyone were able to really feel into the Four Agreements on that, the Four Agreements are always do your best. And just for the record, your best is not going to be the same every single day. Some days you're going to be tired and depleted, but doing your best may look different today than it does tomorrow. Not taking anything personally. The majority of people's reactive nature, the majority of the way people act, especially when it's not a positive thing, has more to do with what's going on inside of them than it has to do with you. Be, it's like honorable to your word, something like that. So 
knowing, be, be careful what you say. Words hurt. Those things like those voices you hear in your head, like, oh, why am I so stupid? I'm such a F up. When you hear that stuff, they're probably not your own words. They're probably things that were told to you. So be impeccable. That's what it is. Be impeccable with your word. And now I can't remember what the fourth one is. I don't remember. I'll remember later. I'll remember after this video. <laughs> anyway, so that's the four agreements or three of the four, since I can't think of the other one right now. But it's a great place to start your journey or to pick up your journey again. And if you guys are interested in doing some work with me, I have a really cool thing coming up. I have a self-worth workshop, which is one of the biggest things that gets in our way. We talk about a big part of our self-development journey is that path towards self-love and feeling truly worthy, feeling like I am enough. So I grew up not feeling like I was enough. Everything I did was a quest to try to be enough. And one of the reasons why I have a lot more ease and flow now is because I feel worthy. I do not worry about whether somebody loves me or not. Sure, I want you guys to like me. Sure, that's, yeah. But I don't need it. I don't need it to fill up the holes of where I feel wounded. So the self-worth workshop is going to be in May. It's going to be really cool. It's really affordable. It'll be five weeks, five weeks long, and it is going to be incredibly transformative. We're going to work with the subconscious mind and the conscious mind in this and really create big shifts for you guys. So if you're interested in the self-worth workshop, reach out to me. If you're interested in doing some one-on-one -on -one with me, reach out to me as well. We'll set up a quick little conversation to make sure what you're looking for is something I can help you with. And if it is, then we'll set up a longer complimentary pathway session and we'll dig into what's been getting in your way, what it is that you really want, what's been getting in your way and what it looks like when you have it. So, and if you guys just want to reach out to me and say, hi, that is always awesome. Next week, I'm going to be solo again because I was going to do this one solo anyway, but y'all have been reaching out for a long time talking to me about procrastination. When are you going to do a talk on procrastination? When are you going to do a little video on procrastination? Well, next week, I will be doing a self-sabotaging sagas on procrastination. One of the reasons why I haven't done one is because there are so many layers to procrastination. And I want to tell you right now, because I just talked to you about the self-worth workshop, one of the big underlying causes to it is a low self-worth. So you do the self-worth workshop, it will support you in your procrastination as well. But we're going to dig deep into all the reasons we procrastinate. What are the root causes of all of that next week on Self-Sabotaging Sagas? 
And I hope to hear from you guys. And I'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Bye.